Hi everyone, Joel here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to quickly let you know about our bonus Tier 4 Platinum Circle episode this week, in which we talk about the fascinating spy in a bag story. James reveals two bombshells that were not previously in the public domain, and it's fair to say he blew our minds. I may though be able to quickly commit news on the spy in the bag. Go on then. One of them is at the time of this particular murder, was living three doors down from uh, the flat where this took place. No way. GCHQ had all sorts of little records of things like brown bag lunches or interns guides. Name had been completely stripped out. No way. Really? So there was nothing, not a single mention. So to learn what James is talking about, head to newconspiracist.com where you can subscribe to unlock ad-free listening and exclusive weekly bonus episodes right now. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to The New Conspiracist, the show that makes every week darker, stranger and weirder. And to do that, as always, I'm with my co-hosting megabrain, James Ball. How are we, James? I mean, I don't know how we're going to be at the time this goes out. We either will or will not have survived the Wilderness Festival. That's true, but it did come home. It did come home. That's the only thing that's important. So 56 years. It's got to be really rubbish for the men's game now. Yeah. Though, you know, 56 days of hurts. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one just of the not best tweets say... I've literally ever seen you do. So, hashtag it staying home. And, and the best thing was Boris Johnson was literally too scared to turn up. We'll come back to uh, taking apart the government later in the show. Uh, so this week, we are discussing a conspiracy theory that I think you're going to want to know more about. But Especially that, if you're that, on a dating app. Before that, though, who's our guest this week? Well, this week, we are joined by an actor who starred as the lead in Channel 4's new drama, The Undeclared War, Hannah Kalik Brown. Now, The Undeclared War was Hannah's unbelievably first on-screen role. And if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. I literally binged it all in one night. And she took her role as Sarah Parvin very, very seriously. She even taught herself how to code and learn two programming languages. Do you know two code programming languages? Of course. Of course you do. (laughs) Don't you? (laughs) Uh, obviously not, <laughs> because I actually do things like go to the pub with my friends and be really cool and popular. Yeah, okay. Joel, we know you're straight. I don't have I don't have the time to like you know are sit you, around making loads of money with code. Wait, are you trying to say that uh, I'm the nerd to your jock? Is is that the dynamic you think? I, d- I don't here? know what you're saying, but just for an audio description, I am literally flexing my muscles as, as James <laughs> as James says it. Now, Hannah not only is a fan of conspiracy theories, but as we will go into at university, wrote a three thousand word essay on how they spread, which we're going to read word for word, so strap in. Ah! <laughs> Actually, we are not joking. We are going through bits of this essay later. Oh it is bloody good. It's bloody brilliant. So, quite, quite jealous. I've, as regular listeners will know, I am finishing the edits on a uh, book about QAnon for next year. Are you? And it actually has a bunch All of the same ideas as that essay. All he podcast to plug his books <laughs> so, so or his no, latest I, investigation. The hustle is real. Like, I am stoked. Joel. What is it that we're uh, asking this week? Well, as I was trying to say before, you know, if you're on a dating app, then this should particularly concern you, I think, because we're talking about, obviously, The Undeclared War is set in GTHQ. So we're obviously asking, can GCHQ see my nudes? 
Hannah, it's awesome to have you in us. I did keep seeing the words breakout star on the reviews. Does, <laughs> does that get old after a while or is that still quite nice? It's, it's very nice. I'll take it. I just feel like a, a little funny person that snuck in the back door. So I'm quite happy to be No, it was it was star. absolutely brilliant. I mean, it must have been quite something though, sort yeah. of bouncing off like Mark Rylance. Uh, yeah, that How was, was that? mad. I'd Completely bet. insane. Had you ever seen him before? Like, I've had seen you seen him, Jerusalem or anything? I hadn't seen him live because mm. I was about 10 years old the first time that he did Jerusalem. Wow. So <laughs> yeah, so I did. You'd have been pretty young for that material, yeah, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I'd stuck with Macbeth at that point. Yeah, yeah. just a light-hearted, yeah. dark Shakespeare play <laughs> about death and murder. Yeah, but no, it was mad, and I, I loved his work because I'd watched his screen work before. Right, and I was just like, what on earth am I doing here on set with Mark Rylance? Well, I thought it was extraordinary. And I mean, particularly, I loved the part. I mean, I don't think I'm giving away too many spoilers here, but at one point, you, you and Mark's character go to the old GCHQ, yeah, and you have a lovely picnic. Oh, there. I love those scenes. That must have been really special, though, yeah. to have that kind of moment. With oh, like it was. Those were the last scenes we filmed with Mark. He kind of had to do all of his scenes in one block because he's a very busy man. Of course, he was. <laughs> Sorry, I'm back off with Spielberg for the. BFG7. <laughs> Literally. And I went into my trailer when we wrapped those scenes and I cried for 20 oh, minutes. I was oh, like, wow. <laughs> I can't believe this has happened. <laughs> no, I bet. Because, I mean, what an extraordinary team of people. You know, Adrian yeah. Lester, Simon yeah, Pegg, Yeah, it was Rylance. mad. It was completely mad. Mm. And I, I, there were so many moments where I was, like, out of body experiencing mm. it. I was like, this cannot be real. But does, it was. Does it not feel weird that your character has kind of attended more strap meetings than Boris Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my character's, she's up there. She's pretty cool. (laughs) How would you describe the character? Oh, that's a really good question. I the first word that always comes to my head is brilliant. I think she's mm. a brilliant young woman. I think she's a genius. Uh, she's a coding prodigy, but I think she also just thinks differently to other people. She looks where other people look. She questions things other people don't question. You know, maybe if she was a conspiracy theorist, she'd be up there breaking ground because she mm. really like looks at things differently. I think she's really driven. She's very ambitious. She's very self-critical. Can Can I ask? Uh, sort of the like British spies are really weird about stuff that features them. Some of it they absolutely love. So yeah. MI6 goes nuts helping out Bond movies. Yeah, yeah. Like they get to film in the real things. They get yeah. salt tours around. How would GCHQ with you guys? Did well, you get to like meet the real ones? I didn't get to meet the legit spies because I don't <laughs> think they're allowed to tell you who they are. But online, we've had like a crazy response. Mm. So Paul Chichester, who is like the head of the NC... I can't remember how to say it. The cyber part the of NC, GCHQ. Uh, the NCSC. That's the one. He tweeted about it. And GCHQ have done like an Instagram story with one of my quotes from an interview on it. <laughs> and it's just like, ah! It's just, that is, that is the coolest thing ever. And it deals with some quite spiky sort of societal issues. Like mm. your character comes from a Muslim family yeah. who, who she doesn't actually tell... Yeah. that she's going to sort of start taking part in that. I mean, how did you sort of research that? Like, how did you look into that? Well, I, I mean, a lot of this, the actual scene, especially one between Sarah and her brother, Saj, Peter does amazingly to kind of explain the ideas that a lot of people have that have trouble with mm. surveillance and, and Asian communities. And there's a moment where where Saj says something like, you know, you're working for people who criminalise our communities. I think that really encapsulates one part of the kind of discussion about that like where do these surveillance operations focus and Mm. a lot of the time it is on particular communities but getting into all of that was was really interesting because for Sarah it's not about that she doesn't really think about the politics of it at all she kind of always is just obsessed with the puzzle totally and the the puzzle in front of her and so I kind of zoomed in on that with her and I think Peter does something amazing where he he shows all the different 
political problems and ideas around her. But when I was working, I was honestly just so like focused in on what Sarah was thinking and doing. Yeah, and you can really feel that in the performance. It really, oh, it really is a magnificent performance. And if you haven't seen The Undeclared War, I'd recommend that you check it out. Something I found really uh, quite nuts watching the series was, I think if you say cyber attack, it can sound very ephemeral, can't it? Yeah. It's sort of like, not you're not really quite sure where to place it between your internet uh, connection going down yeah. at, at a nuclear war. Yeah. Like it's, it's somewhere between those two. <laughs> but the show explores sort of some extraordinary ways in which this can affect society, right? Yeah. Do you want to sort of explain to some of the listeners maybe what, some without giving too many spoilers away, some of the stuff that we touch on in the show? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of touches all our worlds, like our personal world, our national world, the global political world as well, which I think is why it's so interesting that it shows so many aspects. It shows how it kind of, like the ATMs going down and political unrest happening and how like social media kind of troll farming, which is this concept of there being bots on Twitter, which are managed by political states that are kind of <laughs> encouraging divisive debate and discussion on the internet. That was one of the craziest things for me to learn actually happens. It's mm. not It's not a fictional device. That's and the deployment real. of deep fakes as well. Yeah, yeah. Deep fakes, that freaked me out. Mm, I mean, me too. It, it's something kind of really unsettling about technology. Hannah, you're a bit younger than us. And I'm fascinated to know at what point did conspiracy theories start coming into your life? And kind of what was your entry level conspiracy? Not necessarily you agree with it, but the first one that you heard kind of people talking about. Yeah, I grew up kind of as the internet really grew up quickly. Mm. So I was exposed to quite a lot of it from quite a young age. I remember being probably about 11 years old and listening to YouTube conspiracy videos about the Illuminati and the music industry. When you were 11? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's why I ended up like this. So are we talking about like, you know, all the triangles and the stuff like Kanye, and, and playing, it, playing it backwards and hearing like, Amazing. Oh, the devil. Oh, I, I, I love to play it backwards ones because yeah. it's not even been all that easy to play stuff. Like, because it did used to you'd just have be about to the turntables. Yeah. yeah well, well, you don't really give you that option audible. on Spotify, does it? No, no, you'd have to put the file into... Uh, what was it? There was like an uh, was audio. It Winamp? Was one, one of those, those? and yeah. then reverse it, and then upload it with like loads of Illuminati imagery on on a YouTube video. That was a big part of my early <laughs> internet experience. Wow! Just like rabbit holes of like backwards Rihanna songs <laughs> and like money, money, devil, devil. Like it was just so weird. And what did you discover? Did you discover that Rihanna is part of the Illuminati? One hundred percent. No. Great, great. Good to know. I mean, come on, if there is an Illuminati, you know that she's high up in it. Oh, like, of course. Come on. Yeah, I mean, she'd be high up in any kind of hierarchical structure. She's Rihanna. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, James, remind us again, what are we talking about today? So, we're talking about the good people of GCHQ, which is the world's most dullest named uh, intelligence agency. <laughs> Can you remind me actually what it actually stands for? It stands for Government Communications Headquarters. That does sound all very nice, um, doesn't it? Nice yeah. and British. Um, it, it was founded as the Government Code and Cipher School and basically was part of the Navy. And it was literally just in charge of making sure that our like codes were secure. So, you know, it wasn't even really in code breaking in that first era. So it was like early 20th century version of cyber security. Yeah. Aptly enough for uh, the undeclared war. <laughs> and the modern GCHQ has got like this quite weird role that most spy agencies don't have. Like it's the nerd one. You know, <laughs> it doesn't really run field operations. People work out of Cheltenham or out of, there's a base on top of a cliff in Bude uh, in Cornwall. Oh, wow. Uh, they've got a couple of bases literally where the underseas cables come in. 
because they tap into the undersea's cables as data comes into and out of the UK. Wow. They literally actually split the beam with a prism. What? And so it I carries on this. it carries on travelling to you and they can siphon off <gasps> an exact copy because light splits easily. They've also got a like satellite base in Yorkshire a few miles away from where I grew yeah, that's up. That's pretty famous. That and one. they've got like these golf balls over mm. the satellite dishes so you can't see what way they're pointing at any given moment because that could show who they're concentrating collection mm. on. You ever got into GCHQ? So they do not let me in. <laughs> um, I've tried. For reasons that will come up. Yeah. I've tried to break in there. <laughs> How far did you get? Well, we didn't get that far. I I decided to stay in Cheltenham. (laughs) Hayden, uh, who I made the show The Revolution we televised with, we decided to go and literally just in a very prior way put a big Brig Brother is watching you sign on. (laughs) They drove the car in, didn't get past the first barrier. The mass alarm went off, like proper like... Then Sophie Duker, who at the time, comedian now she is, was working as a runner at the show, got out and two huge metal gates went up. Oh, my Trapping God. them in a small box. <laughs> it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic, I think, 32 seconds, I think, wow. we got out of it. Making so history. It's, uh, I think a good example that there are still some places with working security. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> is it actually strange for you, Jamesy? Because as some of our listeners may or may not know, James was heavily involved with the Snowden files and the release of those. How were you involved in that, James? Basically, I'd um, slacked off work at The Guardian slightly early on a Friday and got across the road to like a little pop-up pub. And I got a call from Alan Rusbridger, who's the editor then. Of course, you know, I'm a reporter in the 20s. You don't usually get a direct call from the editor. And he's like, oh, are you still in the office, James? I certainly should have been. Like, oh, um, no, I just left, but I, I'm literally just left. I could turn around and come back. I'm there with a pint in front of me. <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, um, yeah, actually, can you come to my office now? Oh. Uh, and I'm sort of thinking, I'm going to get fired. Oh, you no. know, what have I done? <laughs> and he basically sort of says, um, Janine Gibson out in the US has got a story and she's asked for you on it. He went, I can't really say anything more than that. He says, I don't really know much more than that, but... Um, yeah, can you get the next flight out, please? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so I fly out there and uh, basically sort of get pulled into this corner office and told, yeah, so we've we've been told we've got um, Glenn Greenwald and Ewan McCaskill on a plane to Hong Kong <laughs> to meet an NSA whistleblower who says he's got tens of thousands of documents revealing illegal mass surveillance. It's just mad. Um, what should we be doing? I was like, well, first thing take every phone out of the room and unplug every computer <laughs> before we carry on this conversation. So they pulled me in because I used to work for WikiLeaks. And so I was the only one who sort of had any security but this became experience a kind of in- and secrecy insane experience. period of time, didn't it? Where yeah. you were literally at some place <clears throat> flying back and forth with handwritten notes. Yeah. Oh my God. Because that was the only way well, they thought was secure. we started realising quite how good GCHQ and the NSA's surveillance capabilities were and we were getting major threats from the UK government coming from the spy agencies saying that if we didn't either hand it back or destroy every copy in the UK they would give us an injunction and stop us publishing wow but if we destroyed the UK copies we told them we had US copies Mm -hmm. but we did this sort of mad thing at one point where they were asking us to smash up all the hard disks. Yeah, this is really famous. And what we'd, what we'd done that people sort of didn't really know about was we'd got all of the GCHQ stuff and encrypted it and broken it into three. And it wasn't that each of the three had like a third of it on. You needed to reassemble all three oh, for any wow. of it to be readable. 
and we'd sent them through different channels, through different people, to three people who didn't know each other. <laughs> Love it! Um, all within New York State. We can play this game <clears throat> and too. And so yeah. <laughs> before we actually smashed it up, we needed to check that that worked. Uh... And so I literally ran out of the London office someone was online buying me a ticket for Heathrow for the next plane. <laughs> and I literally flew to the US, found these three people and showed them handwritten bits of paper from the person who'd given it to them saying, hand it to this guy. I love this so much. Got these so three much. discs. So and was cool, sort of right? Did you feel like a spy? Oh, God, yes. Yes! I uh, was sitting in this sort of <laughs> office at nine o'clock on this sort of Friday night. It had a glass wall. So I had a TV on through the other side showing subtitled movies because <laughs> it was taking like... 10 hours to recompile and like unencrypt oh and I'm sitting God. there and sitting there and it sort of hits about half nine at night and there's suddenly this massive thunk and all the lights of the TV go <gasps> out the thing was on a laptop so I carried on going but I'm just thinking I'm about to die <laughs> <laughs> and it just turned oh out the God. office had a circuit oh. break <laughs> at 10 at night <laughs> no no everyone leave We're on... well, I was there on my own exactly oh Classic. my God. so yeah basically it, uh, about 1am it sort of went yep this has worked wow and I sort of sent a cryptic text to the UK that we'd agreed meant they could destroy it I love it. and the next day with these two like GCHQ agents in the basement they like destroyed and magnetized everything <laughs> just to remind you if you don't know about this this actually was in 2013 when edward snowden revealed that the us via the national security agency the nsa and the uk secret service were collecting processing and storing huge amounts of data from digital communications including emails social media interactions internet histories and phone calls and the operation was called tempora Tempora Is that actually, that's a real, that's real, that's real, right? It's, uh, tempora was, yeah, I mean, especially The Guardian revealing it, it got us every bloody middle class food joke. I bet. I mean, it tells you how long ago that 2013 was, that the way we described Tempora was uh, like Sky Plus for the internet. <laughs> what? It was like a three day kind of playback sort of, you know, internet on demand thing. They yeah. kept about three days of content of just everything they ingested so they could look back through what people were browsing. What would you use instead of Sky Plus now? Like, I don't know. I can't even make a, an accurate equivalent at all. Yeah. yeah. I, know, like, I don't think I can it's either. It's like no. player but shitter. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon when it's not working. <laughs> the, the question that almost every listener is currently sweating about thinking is, can GCHQ rummage through my phone and intercept my nudes, James? Well, before I answer, Hannah, I have I have to ask, you know, is this a big part of the undeclared war? <laughs> <laughs> well, because of the tastes of the great British television maker, Peter Kosminski, nudes are not the main focus of the undeclared war. Which I have to say is probably the biggest problem with the show, <laughs> frankly, isn't it? Let's be yeah. honest. I, if they commission a second season, it's going to be all about trying to recover the Prime Minister's nudes yeah. from Russian hackers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is this moment in one of the episodes where I read it in the script and and it says that someone's laptop, I think it's Elizabeth Kahn, who's a home secretary, has been found compromising material. And it doesn't mean nudes, but straight away my head was like, nudes. <laughs> yeah. They found nudes. They found nudes on every computer. <laughs> I don't know why my I haven't even that. asked you about this. What was it like working with Peter Kaminsky? Because, uh, I mean, he's such a sort of doyen of that very specific type of, you know, high-end really high octane sort of thriller government spy agency sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it was incredible. He is 
probably the most intelligent person I've ever met. He, his you hear that, James? <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? We haven't met yet. That's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. He is so clever and he researches stuff. Like, I don't know what all of his research methods are. Sure. He has his ways mm. and he goes in. Like, he doesn't leave stones unturned. I think this show was like five years in the making. Mm. Do, so you th- it, do you think he's a spy? <laughs> I think he's a spy. He's definitely got a lot of mates who are spies, <laughs> that is for sure, because a lot of the detail was... <clears throat> sort of really forensically accurate. He's very, very rigorous with his research and just working with him as an actor as well. He's a real actor's director. He cares so much about character as well. So yeah, incredible, absolutely incredible to work with him. And he knows so much. His his knowledge about this kind of thing is so broad and so deep that you use him as like a source of knowledge and inspiration when you're working. Now, look, this is something that affects an awful lot of things, this GCHQ idea of being able to hack. So let's deal with them sort of one by one. So let's talk about how potentially they could get into your phone and also how much research for this kind of stuff did you have to do before you got involved? Because, I mean, a lot of actors probably wouldn't go anywhere near it. You learned to code in two languages. <laughs> yeah, I focused on the coding, I think. Because, like, I, again, I don't think Sarah, the character I play, really thinks about the consequences of the work she's doing. Mm. She genuinely does just kind of look at the puzzle. Like, she's a real nerd for it. So, in that sense, she, you know, that might be a flaw of hers that she doesn't really think about the wider stuff. But I did teach myself to code because I was thinking, this girl's a genius and I like don't know anything about it. So if I want to get even close to understanding her, I need to learn a bit. And then I got really addicted to it and I found it really enjoyable. Did you? And really like fulfilling, which is so strange because I always thought that I was going to, I was terrible at that kind of thing. Right. Like I thought I was really not a logical person. I thought I was really like terrible at maths, which I thought somehow you had to be good at to do coding, which isn't true. Just yeah. for the nerds, which languages did you learn? So I learned JavaScript and C++. C++? Plus plus, that's yeah. retro. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was recommended to go those ways by Coda, yeah. so I just did, and I I loved it. And I I also watched a lecture about reverse engineering um, because Sarah is a hacker and reverse engineerer in GCHQ. So I learned a bit about that. I also got to know the software that she uses and that they do use in GCHQ called Ida Pro, which was really weird. Like knowing that they do all their yeah <laughs> on it. <laughs> I, I didn't know, I didn't research that much about surveillance, but reading about it now, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> so, uh, that's just, a bit weird. Just for people who don't know, reverse engineering is kind of like taking apart a toaster and seeing how it works, Yeah, but with code. So, yeah, and with malware. Because often malware will look like one thing and do another, yeah. or it might want you to think that Loads you of traps in there. have like got rid of it from the computer, but it yeah. goes dormant, or it wants you to think it's... Rans- like, there's of, all like, sorts herrings. of cleverness. But also, it's a bit like um, sort of almost doing forensics. Yeah. Because yeah. loads of malware is cobbled together. Yeah. And, you know, you might see a really sophisticated bit of code and think, oh, they must be really good. But then realise they've taken something that from might have leaked else. from an intel agency or something. Yeah. And tacked it on really crudely to something yeah. else. It is very creative. It is. It's like very innovative way of working. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I wanted to ask you something, James, because ever since I watched the show, one of the things about Sarah's character is that she she makes some unbelievable discoveries. I won't go into too much of actually what that is, but she's 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 on work experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what obviously what I think is really fascinating about this is in this new world, you know, the young have probably infinitely more sort of expertise than, you know, a Mandarin in his 70s. So, um, how, I mean, how realistic is so, this within the agency? So GCHQ does take on work experience students and does try and talent scout really good comp sci people. But one thing I should say is Snowden gave us lots and lots of documents, but it tended to be, it was basically like the intranet of GCHQ. You know, right. it's like the policies or the guides or the... And we only published what was relevant to talking about surveillance and raising the public interest questions. But we were looking at a lot more. Mm. And sort of one of the fun documents in there was each year this guide got updated and it was by one year's interns to the next year's interns <laughs> on like Amazing. a guide to interning at GCHQ. Wow. And it was sort of saying, you know, here's good places to stay. They went, just tell the uh, like landlady or tell you know whoever it is, <laughs> say that you're working in tech. They'll know They'll that you're know. working for GCHQ, <laughs> but they won't say anything else. Nice. I, I have to say, like real GCHQ internships, I'm sure are great if you are like people like your character. Yeah. They're a lot less dramatic. You know, yeah. there's lots of things like brown bag lunches and yeah. little tech cuddles. Well, and, they have, I've heard they have a Greg's in there. Yeah, it's, well, it's true. Thank, thank goodness for that. Yeah, because it's called The Street and they have loads of shops and cafes and all of the people who work there have to be DV cleared. Like the, right. like, like the full so level cool. that you have to full, be for a spy. Just for Greg's. Just for Greg's. Because like the, the DV is pretty extreme. Can you explain uh, yeah. what that means to a lot so of people? So it's, it's called developed vetting. There's sort of several levels of vetting in the UK. Believe it or not, I'm enhanced vetted. That doesn't surprise me I'm basically me a criminal. Um, <laughs> Developed vetting, you give them all sorts of details at the start and it takes a few months and they will ring all sorts of other people in your life, ask all sorts yeah. of detailed questions. They'll look into your finances. Interview your family. They'll look at your phone logs. They'll do all partners. of this. And then towards the end, you sit in a sort of room with an interviewer. Sort of t One of the well-known ones is this very sort of pleasant, quiet sort of older lady. And essentially they sort of say... We're going to ask you a series of questions. You must answer honestly. She went, if you don't answer honestly, I'll still nod, I'll smile, I'll note the answer. We'll know about it. And you'll, re and you'll be rejected. Oof. Yeah. Um, and personal basically, questions. you can have all sorts of very... Well, how personal are we talking here? I affairs, reckon, drug like, use, yeah, affair, like yeah. you name... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Affairs we and drug kings. use. Yeah. So what if you had like did a couple of pills at a festival? Oh yeah, yeah. even if it was no. fifteen years yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. You're joking. Yeah. Like if you cheated on your partner ten years before. Shut if you up. Yeah. Have, like, Anything a crime, that anyone might know about or like, be angry at if you, you about. If or... you stole from from an employer ten years ago and got away with it, or being in debt is often the worst thing you can be. Like, That's be, so funny because <laughs> so you can cheat on your partner, you can do drugs, well, just don't be in debt. You're, if you're honest, welcome to the capitalist honest system. about it and disclose it to them, and you've disclosed it to your partner, 
So I know people who've told their partners about affairs to past developed vetting. Wow. It's probably a bad Whoa. sign that I know they past That's developed a vetting. Commitment. Yeah, 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 yeah. People have had to admit that. That's bold, right? It people is. have had to admit knowing me because I'm obviously a major risk on someone. That must make de- you feel quite vetting. special. Oh, it's great. It's he so, absolutely fucking loves you it. I love, love it. that. He absolutely <laughs> lives off you it. You also you have to keep a list of potentially compromising people in really? your life. So like, I've got, a, I've got a little quiz for you, Beth. you got a quiz for us? <gasps> yes. So GCHQ sort of don't just analyse other people's malware. They make their own and they make packages to, you know, they've got what they passively collect where these are like dragonets where we all get pulled in. But then, you know, if they've got a high value target, they will sort of try and get stuff onto their device. Yeah. And so they've got a package of stuff that they put onto phones, Android or iPhone. I'm quite pleased to hear this. So something is actually made in Britain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely we fantastic We are still quite news. good at spying. Yes. Like yeah. it has to be said. Like, we, like these agencies are pretty It's good. kind of part of our brand, it right? It is, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't but, just be shouting about 007 the whole time and be crap at it. But it must be said, the package, at least at the time, Snowden sort of did it. They had, you know, America likes to sort of call everything righteous thunder and nitro's <laughs> use and all of this. Our package of stuff for phones were, were all named after Smurfs. What? So I'm going to say some Smurf names and have you tr- have you each sort of try and guess what you think this one does. Okay, so hang on. So we're saying you're going to say names and we're going to talk about what the application what, of this what is. What you think it does. Mm. So it's all like stuff this. that they put on the phones of targets. Nice. Okay, good. Nosy Smurf. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm what do you reckon? I'm thinking that goes into camera and has access to see photos, maybe videos, maybe even have some not recording ability, but viewing ability. I think that it was something that connects to Naomi from Bolt uh, and gets her <laughs> to send you that email that comes through almost every day offering you something that is always gone by the time you click through to it. Well, I think, Hannah, you were closer, okay. but you underestimated it. it what? Um, underestimated? It is something that can remotely turn the microphone of phones on so that it can <laughs> listen to you, even if you don't think the phone's on. What? When it's off? Yeah, so like... Even even if just, you know, you think your phone's in your pocket, yeah. they can turn on the microphone. So that's nosy smurf. That's absolutely horrible. That's absolutely madness. Yeah. Tracker smurf. I guess that's like a, a highly precise GPS tracker that can like lock on to your precise location whenever it wants to. I think it's actually like a virtual tracker bar that's sort of like given extra (laughs) battery, but in sort of a, you know, very healthy way to sort of give your phone some more nutrients so it can keep the battery going when they want to spy on you a bit more. That's another one for Hannah. Damn it. But we will come to that. We're going to talk about tracker bars. uh, Dreamy Smurf. (laughs) My mum will be so pleased. (laughs) Dreamy Smurf. Okay. I think that's got to be something to do with sleep, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you're sleeping, it, I don't know, listens to your sleep talking? <laughs> it looks at your entire Pornhub It can watch your dreams. Also, it looks at your entire Pornhub profile and creates your most dreamlike, horrendous nightmare vision and sends it to your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Very heteronormative, Joel. It was pretty heteronormative. <laughs> um, so it does actually handle power management because a bunch of this stuff oh. drains the battery. But also... They could remotely turn your phone on when you think it's off. That's Shut up. Horrible. And have it look turned off. Shut ah! up. 
Yeah, wait, no. So that's like if you mix, <gasps> which one was that? Dreamy yeah. Smurf with, with nosy, uh, nosy Smurf. Smurf. Yeah. Hang on. So you're Fucking saying that if you can have your phone turned off, you think, they and turn it can it on, secretly turn and on, they and then turn the microphone off. I've wanted to ask you this, which is why you have to take your phone out of the room, not to switch it off if or you want smash a proper. It up. This is a genuine question I've got. Right. What sort of public interest do they need to demonstrate internally? To get into so have a warrant. Sense. So for the do they need a warrant? They don't need a warrant in the traditional sense. That's a kind of up. a minister <laughs> or a senior official can give them warrants for this, yeah, and sign them off. But they do for each thing they do have to show that it's necessary, reasonable, and proportionate. I bet um, they have like a like a sample document and they just edit the names. Yeah, they pretty <laughs> much do. But they do have internal compliance, etc., that sort of chases mm. them on this. Um, Real talk, been, how much is this abused? It's difficult to say because all of this stuff is kept secret. Right, so and anything so, you de- do get is from a leak. You know, there were several US and European-wide cases on human rights yeah. that looked at how much these sort of offered protections and scrutiny, and the UK procedure was found several times to be unlawful. Oh, no. But what they do is they slightly change the procedure every few years so that by the time the old one's been found to be unlawful... They could say the new one's there. Mm. Yeah. But I want to give you one final smurf. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, yeah, love a smurf. I might actually take this one seriously rather than talk about tracker bars at all, Paranoid smurf. Ooh. <laughs> wow, maybe this is where it contacts everyone you know on WhatsApp and sends out the nudes. <laughs> is it? It texts everyone you know and flee all this discovery. <laughs> yeah. So, Hannah? I feel like it maybe plants something in your phone that isn't Ooh. real, that looks like something real, oh, to nice. make you act out in a certain way that may give them information. So, oh, that's quite, that's a that's, really good answer. That's Hannah. a brilliant answer. It's, it's, it's better not than that. the real one. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I am <a> so, <laughs> the, uh, the real one is it basically it's self protection, and so it helps hide the other Smurfs what? From, st- what? from apps and stuff that would look for them. So, how would you find any of this on yeah. your phone? Like, how would I you mean, even detect it? With great it? difficulty. Is there any wow. apps that actually want to advertise on this podcast that actually can detect this stuff? If so, give us a call <laughs> and email hello at newconspiracies.com. So me and um, me and one of the senior editors during the Snowden story, about six weeks in, looked on our phones. And you know how you can do the usage type app? Oh, yeah. yeah. And there was an invisible app. Oh, that's horrendous. There was something showing with like high that usage. That shivers down my but back. But no app icon, no name. And so we both literally binned those phones and bought new ones. Do you know what I found the most interesting? Because do you remember when when it first came out and then the Spiegel article obviously came out and there was that deck, wasn't there? That was that NSA deck. Yeah. And there was this incredible quote that said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, get it slightly wrong, that not even George Orwell could have predicted that we would be (laughs) taking photos and videos of ourselves everywhere yeah. just telling people where we were who we were with it's and when we were there it's such a random like diversion for humanity it really is isn't yeah. it i mean because i do it all the time you know yeah. I, i'm i'm the one for an instagram story Love and an for instagram for story. you know a little tweet but the metadata of this stuff it's pretty easy to put a pretty clear network together of like where you've been yeah. who you've been hanging and, out with and and they only like to get searched by gchq and like investigated you only need to be 3 Degrees of separation from somebody who's um, like a target. Is that a real thing? Yeah. And yeah. if you think three about hop rule. a three hop, what, what does that mean, guys? So like you can three degrees of separation from somebody that they're that is dangerous or that they're investigating. So if you know someone who knows someone who knows someone that is dodgy, hmm. they can look in all your crap. Too. So I'm fucked basically because I do a podcast <laughs> with him. Yeah. So I know Julian Assange, so exactly. I'm one hop. Yeah. I know you, so you're two hop. Yeah. So they can search all of your mates. 
well, Tom, Jamie, uh, Carla, all my friends. I'm really sorry. <laughs> all, all three of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, it's three hops. It's huge. So obviously, we've got to come back. We've got to that part of the podcast where we need to return to the central burning question, which is, can GCHQ see your nudes? Now, how prevalent is this? <laughs> so Edward Snowden actually answered this himself. He did an interview. He literally, he's talked about dick pics. He, did, he? he did an wow. interview with John Oliver and um, they sent out a reporter in the streets asking everyone if they supported mass surveillance, you know, mass NSA yeah. collection. And... Most people sort of said, yeah, it was in like Times Square, New York. Right. And then they sent the same guy out asking random people if they supported the NSA seeing their nudes <laughs> or their dick pics. And everyone was horrified and said no. <laughs> and like John Oliver sort of turns to Snowden and goes, well, what you mean? You know, Snowden's sort of went, well, it's not like they've literally got this huge collection of like nude pics and dick pics, but <laughs> if they're collecting everything, they're obviously gonna, they're collecting this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I sort of ended up having to do a piece at the time going, actually, <laughs> yeah. they do have a massive porno collection. Got a lot of dick. But yeah, so obviously <laughs> this stuff comes up in mass collection. Yeah. But yeah. there was this particular program that I just still find really funny. It was called Optic Nerve. And oh, it was one. sort of fairly early in the webcam era. And they suddenly found that they had a way of collecting from Yahoo webcam chats, <laughs> oh, which was still... Remember those? It was, you know, the earliest era. So, you know, it was couples at long distance and it was so, oh, no. sort of... Um, These poor people. Yeah, oh, and, it, no. and it was These adult entertainers. People. And the way they were testing it out, they were like, it's really hard to actually try and target it. So what we're doing is taking one picture every five seconds of every single oh Yahoo God. webcam chat wow. we see. And so in the six months this like pilot was running, they targeted 1.8 million people wow. who were using this chat. And like they were really surprised at quite how the much it was. They said up to eleven percent of it was porn. That's insane. And they had impressive. these automated filters trying to identify what was porn and tag it. <laughs> Anything um, can be porn. Yeah. <laughs> but they were saying, well, it, it tends to miss. And they were having to like remind people not to look through it recreationally. <gasps> Uh, which, Humans you know, are such bizarre creatures. Isn't, isn't yeah. ideal. But yes, yeah. yes, GCHQ can see your nudes. If they but want But they to. are supposed to, like, ask permission before they look for them, and they're not supposed to look through them for fun. Can I just say, that is fucking lols. They're supposed to ask permission <laughs> is the most undick pic thing I've ever heard in G my life. So GCHQ agents have been, and NSA staff, have been fired for looking through this stuff for fun. Wow. Um, imagine that so as well. You've gone through it. all this stuff. This is so All these terrifying. barriers. Oh, dear. You got hung over Tuesday and just go to GCHQ <laughs> to look at some dick. <laughs> We're going to have a little bit more uh, spy thriller for our uh, Tier 4 Platinum Circle listeners on our bonus episode. But before we wrap up around here, I do want to quickly go into your essay. Yeah. The, Let's talk about it. Embarrassing. The idea I really like in it, not least because it is in my published next year book, is that when you compare conspiracy theories to viruses, sort of saying they need a host, they need to spread. But I really like this because people don't really know this, but viruses aren't alive and they sort of just mutate and live in living hosts and wreak chaos, yeah. but sort of spread around. There's no one directing the virus. There's no, no. one giving it orders. Yeah. And that's how these conspiracies work, you know, especially the new internet ones where... Yeah. 
QAnon found it started as a hoax and then ends up with people thinking Donald Trump is a Kennedy in disguise and all sorts of stuff. What made you latch on to that idea? I really liked thinking about how you can see conspiracy narratives as a story that that begin has a beginning a middle and an end and i wanted to look at the structure of conspiracy narratives and how they behave because they do behave they're not like something that that is a story that exists it's something that mutates it's something that has a host that that's almost parasitical it's it's really like a really weird mutating creature mm. and i found it in terms of just story really interesting totally yeah so I and kind it of does have that in. element and i think it's really fascinating like how did you arrive at writing this essay i i had to write an essay uh, in my final semester and it was it was when lockdown happened and covid started and i was like oh so there's like a literal virus uh, going around and that's pretty much all i could think about for a period of time it yeah. was just like so intense in in everyone's consciousness and i was writing this essay about conspiracy narratives and i was thinking about how they form and how they spread. And I was thinking, I couldn't help but make the connection with a virus because of COVID. Is it all right if I read a little bit of your essay? Because it's really cool. And I think it's something that we've talked about a lot in in the early series with Nikki Wolf when we were talking about QAnon in in the earlier uh, series. And I think, you know, James will be able to extrapolate on it. When evidence is brought against the conspiracy theory, it's either overwhelmed by exponentially multiplying mutations of the theory, alternative strains of which the correction and critique cannot all apply, each with their own sub-theories and mutations and appearing at such a rate that can hardly be traced. Or it is used like a host for a virus and turns against itself in order to serve and strengthen the self-sealing logic of the conspiracy theory. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. (laughs) And it's totally, I mean, that is pithy. Well, I have these. So my my brother's also really interested in conspiracy narratives, conspiracy theories, and we we discuss and debate them quite a lot. And um, we play devil's advocate with each other. And I'll say something to him and he'll say, ah, but you know, I could say that you're only saying that because it's part of the narrative that the deep state has formed against that. And you can use someone's argument against them. Totally. And and it's it's really like hermetically sealed. It's sort of how QAnon became, it's sort of known in circles as the conspiracy theory that ate all of the other conspiracy theories. I love that. (laughs) um, Because it just got so good at, you know, viruses get new spikes, you know, that's like sort of what the COVID variants are. It gets a new spike. If that spike's crap and doesn't attach well, that dies out. If it's better, it becomes dominant. QAnon turns everything into spikes. It grabbed a load of the anti-vax movement. It grabbed loads of the COVID lockdown movement. Yeah. Um, and and so let's not forget JFK Jr. <laughs> but you've got these weird <laughs> things where something that, you know, as, as what that very good paragraph is saying is you can turn something like going, well, if Donald Trump's this massive campaigner against this satanic paedophile cult, why was he mates with Epstein? And you and can, can say, say, well, no, he was, it was a way infiltrating. In. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so you've got, you know, everything can be weaponized yeah. and turned against it. It's It's sort of... Quite a trippy thought. I mean, it's really kind of at the core of why we wanted to do the podcast in the first place. But listen, Hannah, we've got to wrap this up. It's been such a pleasure having you on. I think we sort of moved a bit past the usual part of the podcast where we decide if it is true or if it's not. (laughs) We know it's (laughs) true. We know it's true. But Hannah, um, first of all, what are you working on at the moment? I can't possibly tell you. Oh, that means it's really exciting. (laughs) Super secret. Okay, well, well, if you can't tell us, then it's going to be really good. So um, where can people find you online? People can find me on the internet at Hannah KHBR on Twitter and at 
Hannah Kalik Brown on Instagram. Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for listening. You can email us uh, and tell us. We are, by the way, getting a lot of emails. We're sort of building some stuff up because we're soon to announce that the show... We may have an announcement may, about the show. May, about. may, may, may. Go on. Unless so, dark forces stop it. Unless dark forces stop it. Or James is too busy being sued. Um, so <laughs> we, we will talk about it. But you can email us at hello at newconspiracist.com. That's hello with an E. Hello with an E <laughs> for, for dyslexics like me. But you can also join us for bonus content on the Tier 4 Platinum Circle. I've got no idea why it's called that. It's a fucking weird name. But that <laughs> is what it's called. And you can join us for a bonus episode where we're going to be discussing even more stuff with Hannah this week. Do so it. from myself, from Hannah and from James, sleep well and turn your fucking phone off. Our producer was Hayley Clark, our engineers Jay Beale, Josh Gibbs, Gully Lawrence Tickle and Teddy Riley. Production coordinator was Lily Hambly, our marketing coordinator Emily Webb and our executive producer Alex Lawless with additional production from Chris Skinner. Good night. <laughs>